morning, everyone, and welcome in to another edition of the MacGyver Newsmakers Podcast. I'm Brett Healy, president of the John K. MacGyver Institute for Public Policy, and we are excited to have you join us for a timely conversation with State Representative Mark Bourne, co-chair of the legislature's all-powerful Joint Finance Committee. As any insider will tell you, anything and everything of importance at the state capitol goes through joint finance, so we are lucky to have the representative on the podcast to share with us his keen insight. Today, we'll be talking to Representative Bourne about an important workforce issue, the continued waiving by the Evers administration of job search and work requirements for individuals on government assistance and the impact this is having on the economy and our worker shortage. We are also going to ask Representative Bourne about the Biden administration's recent rejection of Wisconsin's law that would have given more government aid to those schools that continued in-person instruction last year, a provision that Bourne introduced and fought for during the 2021 2023 state budget. A quick reminder before we get started, with the continuing censorship of conservatives and ideas that do not fit big tech's preferred radical socialism dogma, please take a second to sign up for the MacGyver Institute newsletter at MacGyverInstitute.com, MacGyverInstitute.com. While the social media censors will hide and throttle our content from you on Facebook and other platforms, signing up for our email newsletter is a direct connection and the only way you can be sure that you will receive MacGyver's timely and spot-on analysis that you will find nowhere else in the mainstream media direct to your inbox. Now on to today's conversation. Uh, joining us today is State Representative Mark Bourne, uh, Assembly Co-Chair of the Joint all-powerful Joint Finance Committee at the State Capitol. Welcome, Representative Bourne. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you. Uh, can you take a second and uh, give a short introduction to our listeners, your district, how you came to the Capitol, all that good stuff? Sure, yeah. Um, so I represent the 39th Assembly District. Uh, my hometown is Beaver Dam. The district is a, a pretty good chunk of Dodge County. Uh, in my fifth term, I uh, replaced... Uh, Jeff Fitzgerald uh, in this seat when he decided to run for U.S. Senate. It was an open seat, so I ran in one then uh, nine years ago and have been here since. And uh, uh, had uh, three uh, budgets now on the Joint Committee on Finance, and uh, this was uh, my first term as the uh, Assembly Co-Chair of, of the Joint Committee on Finance. So that's kind of a little bit of a background. You're joining us here today to discuss an issue um, on job search requirements. Um, during the pandemic, I think most governors, including Governor Tony Evers, uh, waived uh, certain job requirement, job search requirements to receive government assistance. Uh, what, it, what is the issue that you're raising today? Yeah, what we're raising today is we know that the most challenging thing facing us right now in our economy is, in Wisconsin is a worker shortage. And we have a lot of open jobs. It's the thing most challenging, our manufacturers and our service sectors. And we know we have too many people on welfare in Wisconsin. And the governor is doing things like waiving these job search requirements and making it easier for people and you know, able-bodied adults without children uh, to stay on these benefit programs and not get back into the workforce. So when we see the increased numbers on welfare, um, the great the reduction of the number of people in our workforce, you know, it's an obvious problem. The federal government has certainly played their role of pouring a lot of money into it, but we should do what we can as a state. And so when you see the governor 
just unilaterally deciding to apply for this waiver and get another waiver for requiring people on these programs to actually get out and look for a job and get off of these welfare programs. It's a real problem. And as you said, a lot of places in the country did it um, you know, last year during the, the core of the pandemic and, and when folks weren't sure what was going on and when a lot of businesses were closed or slowed down and it was a different situation. But that's not our situation now. Um, we know that we need a workforce and we know that our um, businesses really in all sectors have found a way to deal with health issues and uh, whatever the COVID concerns are and work safely and they need employees and we need to get folks off these welfare programs. So it's unfortunate that Governor Evers has, you know, con continued to find ways to keep people on uh, benefit programs. And this is a shining example of it. And uh, we think it's important that people know that, you know, the federal law and state law was, requires people to do a work sort search when they're on these programs, unless there's a waiver and, the governor is working with his friends in the Biden administration to create these waivers and keep people on these programs. And just so uh, our listeners are clear, I'm going to read from the memo that came out from your office. Under federal law, able-bodied adults without dependents, without dependents, those 18 to 49 without children, not pregnant, and able to work, must meet a work requirement in order to receive food share. That is the requirement that Governor Evers has once again extended uh, without legislative review, without coming and having a conversation with the legislature. That's the requirement that he went to the Biden administration to get extended. Yeah, that's the waiver he got. And, and as you said, Brett, you know, able-bodied adults without dependents, without kids. You know, so we're not talking about children here. We're not talking about folks with disabilities. Hey, we're talking about you know, people like you and me that are you know, able to work in, in, in decent shape, don't have other responsibilities um, that, that stop us from that. Um, we're not talking about starving children here or anything that people want to tug at heartstrings. Um, that's not the case at all. And uh, it's unfortunate, as I said, that Governor Evers has done this. I think that you know regular folks think that our benefit program should be there to pe for people that need them for a helping hand and a time of need to get back on their feet and get back into the workforce and get things straightened out when they have a bad situation or something, but shouldn't be something that can be easily continued. And these type of waivers just keep people sitting at home on the couch and not in our workforce when we need them the most. Do you have a sense of how many people, uh, how many Wisconsinites this actually uh, impacts? How many Wisconsinites are allowed to uh, not search for a job by this waiver? We think there's about 12,000 right now who would be subject to the work requirements if not for the waiver. And so, I mean, that's when we've got 130,000 vacant positions, I mean, it's not going to fill them all. But boy, I bet if you, I mean, if I go out and talk to manufacturers in this district and say I could fill even 10% of your vacancies, they'd take it. They'd be thrilled to have it. Um, so why not get those 12,000 back in searching our workforce, searching for jobs and uh, you know, get them back off of our welfare system and into their, helping our economy? You first raised uh, this question, um, started uh, to sound the alarm about this uh, a few days ago, a couple of weeks ago, actually probably now. Yeah. Uh, any response from the Evers administration or have any of the secretaries involved? 
no response from the Evers administration. You know, this just fits what their plan is, is to try to, you know, continue to expand and grow these government programs and keep people on them. And um, it's also been disappointing that for uh, most of the media is ignoring it, you know, and like I said earlier, I think for the average person, this is a pretty simple one. We go out and do our jobs and, you know, earn our income, take care of our families, participate in our communities and our local economies. And, and here we have a situation where the governor is, you know, not even requiring people to go look for work and try to get off of the benefit program. And it's not acceptable to most people. I don't know why it's been apparently acceptable to the mainstream media. And you know, I think I know why it's acceptable to the governor. Like I said, this is what their plan is. They like to put more people on federal programs, whether it be uh, Medicaid or welfare, other welfare programs. And they just like to grow these programs. And that's, that's a, just a complete contrast to, to, to the way we look at things. And does the legislature have any sort of um, chance to change this or bring the Evers administration before the finance committee? What's your recourse in the legislature? Yeah, there really isn't any way for us to stop the waiver. You know, like I said, his friends at the Biden administration worked with him. They put the waiver in place. It's in place for a year till I think it's next September or October when it expires. And, uh, as far as our ability to change anything in the legislature, uh, you know, all we could do is was would be to try to change the law to make it um, restrictive on how the governor applies for these waivers. But of course, to change the law, you have to pass a bill in both houses of the legislature and have it signed by the governor. And so, I don't think the governor is going to do anything that limits his ability to do this stuff unilaterally. So that's not realistic. So in, in reality, no, there isn't really anything we can do about it. Um, but that's why we're trying to draw attention to it, because people should know that this is the type of leadership you're getting from Governor Evers and his administration. And I think for a lot of folks, it's not acceptable and it shouldn't be acceptable. Uh, switching gears uh, a little bit, um, another issue that you have been front and center uh, at recently and during the state budget was the K-12 education budget and how much money we spend on K-12 education here in the state. Uh, during the, the budget debate, we had a, 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 a long back and forth with Governor Evers about the use of federal COVID money for our K-12 schools. Uh, Governor Evers wanted to add, uh, add in uh, state dollars, tax dollars on top of the massive amount of federal funding coming to the state for our schools. Ultimately, the legislature decided, uh, rightfully so, that uh, it doesn't make sense and uh, the schools don't really care where that money's coming from. If it's from a state taxpayer or a federal taxpayer, they, they just spend it the, the same. Uh, but Governor Evers uh, wasn't very happy about that. Uh, can you walk us through uh, what happened in the state budget and more recently what happened with the Biden administration? Yeah. So as you said, there's a massive amount of money, a lot of new federal money coming in through the, through the ARPA funds. And as we worked on our budget, we look at already a, you know, a huge state investment, billions of dollars of state money that goes into education. And now we have all this new federal money. And in the case of the ESSER three funds that are most recently being talked about, which was the third phase of that federal money, uh, that was about $1.5 billion of, of federal money coming into the system. So uh, we um, 
increase some of the state investment in some targeted areas like student mental health, because we knew that was going to be an area where kids were going to be challenged coming out of this pandemic. A lot of them had really had serious disruption in their life and their education systems by schools that didn't open and kept them home, sort of learning virtually in some areas and some areas, I think, really just falling through the cracks. Um, so we wanted to invest in that a little bit more. But you're as you said, the bulk of it was this federal money, because a lot of money is a lot of money and it doesn't really matter where it comes from. And um, now there's some challenges with the way that we did some of those SR $3, that third phase of money in a small amount of it. So it's $1.5 billion overall. Most of it is, is controlled by the federal government, about 10% of it. Um, the Joint Finance Committee got to play a role in uh, working with the Department of Public Instruction. And the Federal Department of Education did not approve of about how we spent about 5% of that money. So $77 million is what's um, in question here that's not being dispersed to the schools right now. The, the, the bulk of that $1.5 billion is being sent to schools and they're using it along with their, their um, you know, about $16, $17 billion in state funds uh, over the uh, biennium in this budget and, and you know, educating kids with it. The 77 million that is being disputed is um, part of uh, a plan that we had in the legislature to focus on sending more of this money to schools that did the hard work in the last year and a half of keeping kids in person as much as possible. And a lot of schools in my area, pretty much the whole time, other than those first couple of months where Evers shut everybody down. Uh, because we know that's the best way to educate kids is to get them into these schools in person, getting the education that they need and not having them fall through the cracks. And we know also, though, that that was challenging at times. You know, they had to spend extra money to keep the kids safe and not be spreading uh, any viruses and things. And uh, so uh, let's send some extra money to help cover that hard work, that cost that came with keeping kids in person. Unfortunately, the federal government, Department of Education, and the Department of Public Instruction here in Wisconsin um, really want to focus on sending this money um, to the places that were still closed, that were closed down for most of the time and didn't incur those extra costs. And they focus on it by saying that it's about learning loss. And the funds are supposed to be for learning loss. And I think one positive thing maybe that has come out of this dispute here in the last week or so is both the Federal Department of Education and the State Department of Public Instruction have acknowledged now in several documents, letters that they've put out, that um, the kids that were harmed the most were the kids that were stuck at home, that weren't in their schools. And we knew that the whole time. That's why we were advocating for, you know, helping these schools financially that were doing the hard work with the in-person learning. But um, we've seen now in the last week um, that even the, the Department of Education and the Department of Public Instruction are admitting that these schools that, that were locked down for so long and, and trying to do some sort of virtual thing. And I think in a lot of cases, not very successfully really failed these kids. And so they want that money to go um, more to those places. And, um, you know, I don't disagree that we want to help these kids where their schools and the state department of public instruction and the Evers administration have really been failing them by not having them in person the last year and a half. But I don't, we don't want to move away from the fact that there were additional costs for these schools that did the hard work of being in person. And so we want to see the investments go there. There's still a ton of money pouring into these other schools that have been closed down. And the schools that were closed down for so long had a lot of cost savings. 
Uh, they like to call it cost avoidance, whatever you want to call it. You know, they weren't paying the full heating bills. They didn't have all the transportation costs. They, you know, there, there were savings there. Use those savings to make up for the failure that you caused in these children and the education that they missed um, when you weren't in person. So, um, you know, we, we want to see the 77 million go into schools. We're not trying to, you know, not have the, the funds that were part of the budget package ultimately end up in in our education system. And we'll try to work with DPI to make that happen under the rules that the federal government's putting in place now. But um, we just think it's important to recognize where the real costs of this are and, and would really like to see the investments made on the in-person side. So I just wanna focus in a couple points. Uh, one, uh, during this debate in the budget, the, those in the far left, many of uh, the Democrats in the legislature, some in the in the gov in the evener's administration, they were making wild claims that your idea to primarily use the federal funds would be found to be illegal, immoral, all this uh, uh, rhetoric. But we should point out the only thing that the federal government has objected to is a small, small portion of the plan, uh, as you put it, 5%, $77 million. The overall plan that the legislature passed yep. and Governor Evers ultimately signed into law, that has received uh, implicit or, or explicit approval from the federal government, right. correct? Right. Yeah, there was a lot of misinformation because you know how the left is. They just want their money. They just want to spend more money. And so they were trying to make it sound. And part of what you're alluding to is something that was called the uh, maintenance of effort that we had to make sure we were spending enough to get the federal money. And there has been, as you said, no dispute of that. They've approved the plan, releasing the major vast majority of the money, 95% of the money. Um, we met all the necessary requirements. This is one area. $77 million, 5% of the total funds of the third phase too. There's for, there's two smaller phases, ESSER 1 and ESSER 2. Those are already being spent by schools. Um, that money's all out there already. All their normal uh, first year, the budget state funds are, are being sent out in the normal time frame that they are. So there's a lot of money in these schools to do all the things that they need to do, including for these ones that failed their students by being locked down for so long and not in person. Um, there's a lot of resources there where they can be focusing on this learning loss. The other point I wanted to, to focus in on, and you, you talked about it, and I think it's really important, uh, the fact that the bureaucrats in D.C., the bureaucrats in Madison, will not, do not recognize savings that were reached, uh, cost avoidance, as, as they like, might like to say, during the pandemic, during COVID, for those schools that uh, were virtual only. Um, and, and somehow uh, in this crazy world, the idea that a school would uh, try very hard to keep kids in-person on-site instruction, which we all know is much, much better for them than uh, virtual Zoom instruction. Uh, the fact that there's so many schools in our state that tried to do that and had added costs, and yet the bureaucrats uh, just refused to acknowledge or uh, or recognize the fact that there's added costs and the 77 million should go to them. What does that say about um, maybe not just even COVID, but just education funding in general? I think it's 
pretty sad that it shows that the superintendent of public instruction here in Wisconsin and Governor Evers are really just beholden to the to the union, to the teachers union. You know, they they want their money, they want to do it their way, and they don't care what parents think. They don't even appear to care what's best for the kids. Because this is a clear one where in-person instruction was clearly best for the kids. And yet we never heard any support for that verbally from the Department of Public Instruction or Governor Evers along the way. And we certainly didn't see any financial support for it. And in fact, they're fighting funding going to that right now. And it's been clear through this process that the Department of Public Instruction did not like how we were focusing that money on in-person learning. And they were telling us that from the get-go. And then they're the ones that get to negotiate with the, their friends in the Biden administration or the federal you know, Department of Education. So when they submit the, our plan after sitting on it for a couple months, reluctantly submitted, you know, they're telling their federal partners, we don't like this part, you know, and so it's no surprise that they found a way to convince the Biden administration to object to this because they don't want these funds going to schools that have been in person. It's just not a priority for them. So you made, uh, you made this public on Monday of this week that, I should say, uh, DPI made it public on Monday of this week that the $77 million had been objected to by the federal government. Uh, you immediately put out a, a press release about this. Here we sit on Friday. Uh, you put out a, another press release and an ask of uh, State Superintendent Jill Underly that she submit a plan for the $77 million to the legislature. Uh, have you heard anything from DPI or Superintendent Underly this week about the $77 million? Well, she had a ne very negative response to our letter yesterday, um, seemed to kind of double down on their position, which is unfortunate. But um, we have begun working with staff at DPI and staff in my office and Senator Markline's office to try to get answers to some questions because, you know, it's kind of hard to negotiate with DPI here when they get to turn around and go to the Federal Department of Education and, you know, say, do you approve this or do you not? And DPI can tell them whether they want them to approve it or not. It's kind of, it's tricky for us and it's hard for us to get answers to questions. And, you know, the Department of Public Instruction says that it's federal law, but it's not really that clear because there's, there's no clarity in the law. It's all allowing the Department of Public Instruction to create their own rules or their own guidance. And so until they tell us what we can and can't do, we don't really know. So now we know what they didn't like about this. We've given some more questions to the Department of Public Instruction for them to take to the Department of Education at the federal level to see if, if there are some other things that we can try to get some of these funds into the schools that we think need it the most. And we're kind of waiting for their response on that. So we'll continue to work with DPI to try to get this money into schools in the best way we can. And, um, you know, ultimately, if, if the federal government won't allow us to help in-person schools, um, I think we'll explore other ways to do that as well, because we know that that should be our priority. And this is an important point uh, all through, again, the budget debate. We heard from educators, administrators, uh, DPI, that uh, this massive amount of federal money coming back to our schools they claimed had all sorts of strings attached to it and they could only go for a few certain things. Uh, but it would seem pretty clear from the actual language at, at the federal government level that there was all sorts of flexibility that and, and that this money could be put to where it was needed most by administrators and educators 
uh, and that's what you what you and the legislature were trying to do. So is, is, at this point, your best guess, does DPI just want to take this $77 million and put it back into the bigger pot and hand it out to all schools? Or uh, have you, do you have a sense of, of what DPI would want to do with the money? Yeah, I think that's our best guess. They didn't like that we were taking it out of schools that weren't in person at all. Um, those are your schools, especially in your bigger cities, um, where the teachers union has more power, and that's who DPI and Governor Evers is beholden to. And so they're just trying to get more money to, to their friends rather than focusing on what's best for kids. And that's disappointing, but not surprising, because that's the way the Department of Public Instruction really has operated for quite a while here in Wisconsin. And that's certainly the way Governor Evers has always operated. Um, but uh, as you said, there's a lot of vagueness um, in, the, in this federal laws as far as how this money can be used. And um, schools are being creative and using it in a whole variety of ways already. And uh, it's a lot of money. It's a, you know, a significant investment in education here in Wisconsin, both with what the state taxpayers have been doing for a long time and continue to do, and uh, this new influx of federal money. And uh, I think that you know, we're just hopeful as we look at it that, that uh, the local school districts are investing in it wisely and helping kids come out of this pandemic. Um, some districts where they really just dropped the ball and failed these kids and uh, they need to get them caught up. Um, some of them are really two years behind now. And so um, they need to figure that out. They have a lot of resources to do it with or without this 77 million that's being debated. There is billions of dollars in our schools here in Wisconsin to get this work done. And our local educators um, need to get it done. And I know in a lot of places they are, you know, in my area, um, you know, this, the kids have been in person the whole time. Um, they're doing some good things with the investment to try to help kids that were, um, you know, had some trauma from dealing with the pandemic, maybe not even at school, but at home um, and getting these kids caught up and back into their normal life as fast as they can. And, you know, a lot of our districts do a great job of that. A lot of our teachers do a great job of that. Um, but there's areas where we know they're failing and there's a lot of money being spent. Uh, and with that, State Representative Mark Bourne, thank you so much for joining us on the MacGyver Newsmakers podcast. We appreciate it, and we hope you will come back again soon. If you are new to the podcast and you like what you hear, make sure you get every MacGyver Newsmakers podcast delivered directly to your device. Don't miss a single interview with the key newsmakers in Wisconsin and beyond. Be sure to subscribe to your favorite podcast app, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Tune in, Google Play, and make sure you share the MacGyver podcast with your friends, your family, and those in your life that could use some exposure to common sense. If you have an idea for a podcast, send us an email at info at MacGyverInstitute.com or follow us on Twitter at MacGyver Report. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, any ideas for guests you would like to hear from, comments, criticism, or whatever else is on your mind. Thanks again for listening to the MacGyver Newsmakers podcast, and until next time, Keep fighting the good fight.